Opinion Battlegrounds with Terence Fane Saunders, brought to you by Chelgate, International Strategic Issues Management Consultants. Hello, my name's Terence Fane Saunders. I'm chairman of Chelgate, an international strategic PR, issues management and public affairs company. So, welcome to Opinion Battlegrounds. If you've been with us before, you'll know the rules. We'll be looking at the issues, the debates, the contests and the arguments swirling all around us. We'll be examining the battles for opinion. That's your opinion. And we won't be taking sides. Instead, we'll be looking at the battles themselves. Who's been winning, who's been losing and why? What are the arguments, strategies and tactics being used and how effective have they been? There's actually quite a North American flavour to our chat today. First, and quite unavoidably perhaps, we're going to look at the global propaganda battles surrounding Donald Trump's campaign against the Iranian leadership, with its dramatic and tragic recent developments. And here, of course, we are reminded, if we need reminding, that very often what you do will speak louder than what you say. Staying with our transatlantic friends, over the coming months we'll also be keeping an eye on the US presidential elections. And this week I thought we might have a look at the rather odd little skirmish between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, both perhaps seeking the support of the left wing of the party. So who actually gained from their little scrap and, and who lost? And how much was it a carefully constructed piece of news management by the Warren camp. So, joining me to discuss these issues today is my colleague, Dr. Drew Manns. As an American himself, Drew is better placed than most to offer expert US perspective, especially as his doctorate involved the study of the dark arts of propaganda dating right back to the 17th century. So, Drew, welcome. Happy to be here. We'll also close today, and we can hardly do otherwise, with the great war of public opinion being waged over the particular battleground we like to call the royal family. We have some thoughts here, although as always we're not taking sides, but we do have quite a lot to say about how the different parties have handled the PR challenges they faced here. And once more, it will be fascinating to hear a North American perspective on this, Drew. But let's turn, first of all, to the rather grim battle that's been going on between, really, President Trump and, and the supreme ruler, Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, is he winning? What's he wanting to do? What's he wanting to achieve, do you think? I think he's, he's just trying to send a message, it seems to me. And actually, there's, I don't know if you've seen, there's a film, an old film, one of Jackie Chan's first films called The Drunken Monkey Style. Uh, it, it focuses on the, the this sort of crazy uh, karate style I've got uh, this fighting. mental image of and you I think, and I, sitting at home and, and, watching and, Drunken Monkey films. Yeah, <laughs> but, 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 but I think the, the, the main character in this film is sort of, he acts crazy, but he's, mm -hmm. he's a master in terms of um, what he does. And I think with Trump, he's in effect, using this kind of style because you get this, even The Atlantic recently said that he stumbled into a foreign policy triumph. But in actuality, particularly with this assassination, it was very precise. It was surgical even. And in a way, it, well, in that way, it seems professional. 
Yeah. So that's the message I think that he's sending. That that's he's very, very exacting, but at the same time he's sort of a master of what we used to say in the Renaissance, dissimulatio, dissimulation. So it's yeah. sort of very deceptive. I think that's an intriguing point, really, because madness as a PR strategy actually can work very well. I mean, if you're negotiating against somebody who is entirely rational, mm. it's fairly easy mm. to guess what they will do next. But if you're negotiating with somebody you think is a dangerous madman, you're a lot more cautious about what you're going to do and whether or not he might reach out and press that scary button. Yes. Now, whether or not Mr. Trump is actually dangerously unbalanced or whether or not this is a carefully constructed uh, positioning which he frightens the bajapas out of his, his opponents would be an interesting speculation. And I think you're tending to favor the idea that perhaps it's quite deliberate. Yes, it, it does seem that way. And the effect, I think, well, I know that on the, the 4th and the 5th of January, political uh, did a poll and actually 47% said that they agreed with Trump's assassination. Um, and then I think five days later, uh, Ipsos did a poll and 56% said they disagreed with it. So it is... You're saying the assassination of Soleimani yeah, rather so they, than they Trump's they assassination. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> did, they disagreed with yeah, yeah. Trump's, the way that Trump handled it. Yeah. Uh, so it is a bit divided, but I do think that throughout, I mean, we've seen this talk of since 2016 of Trump being a crazy guy. He's, he's clownish. He doesn't know what he's doing. But this was, he exercised, it, to me, it seemed like he exercised restraint. And then the response from Iran was, uh, it was kind of all, it was not very uh, forceful. It was not compelling. No, it, it suggested actually that they might be running a little scared. I mean, certainly, it was even suggested by some quite knowledgeable people that they had deliberately aimed their missiles in a way as not to do too much damage. But it was interesting that I think the statement that Khomeini made later was that, that had completed their response. Mm. And that word uh, completion was, was, was very crucial. And it was not a particularly strong response. And I could understand them thinking, gosh, if we respond in an aggressive and, and, and dramatic fashion, that madman sitting there in Washington could respond five times worse. But I don't want to use the word being lucky because it was horrendous and horrible and tragic. But in a way, one, people might say that it was lucky for Trump that the Iranians were so grossly clumsy, unfortunate, whatever, as to bring down that passenger aircraft because suddenly within Iran, the demonstrations changed 180 degrees. Before that crash, the streets were full of people, it may have been organized, but were full of people demonstrating against the United States. Mm. Following the crash, my word, the streets were packed with people demonstrating against the government. Mm. And that really brought about a, a significant change. And it seems that the government didn't quite know how to deal with that situation. Right. right. Yeah, I think the U.S. had uh, very good intelligence. Um, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it was a gamble. Uh, that, that much is, is, is clear. But uh, I, I think they, particularly with this case, the intelligence was, it seems to have been very, very good. And I'm not sure in terms of them calculating uh, or trying to uh, anticipate Iran's response, um, I think they probably knew that uh, Iran didn't really have 
great capabilities um, to really respond in an effective, uh, effective way. And sometimes, you know, doing the unpleasant thing, actually, I'm afraid, and it's very sad in life, but people who do the unpleasant thing sometimes get the advantage, I'm afraid. It was, it was interesting that immediately after uh, uh, the assass assassination or killing of uh, Soleimani, the reaction of the international community was quite muted, even from America's allies, uh, for a day or two. And then they were sort of gradually brought round to making more supportive remarks about it. Um, but it did have the secondary, I suppose you could say, benefit that others around the world were seeing Trump in action and were thinking to themselves, if he does that there, what he might, what might he do in our circumstance? Oh, right. And again, it adds to the message that he's wanting to put out there, if we are correct, that actually it is to some degree a, a planned persona that he's <laughs> developing to, to frighten the other side. I've been busying myself in the last few days uh, which I should have done ages ago, studying his book, The Art of the Deal, although I gather that the ghostwriter who wrote on it says that Trump didn't actually contribute a word to it. Yeah. But but from what I've read so far, there are strong echoes of some of the things yes, that, that Trump yes. adopts. Well, and we'll talk about this more in a subsequent podcast, I'm yeah, sure. I, I know that, uh, who is it? Is it Frank Sinatra that said, if you can make it in New York, you can make it. If you make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? So <laughs> there you go. You've got Trump, uh, you know, born and raised in New York and... Uh, there, there you have it. Well, let, let's stay on the American theme then. I think you chaps have an election this year, don't you? Yes, we do. <laughs> and um, obviously, one might very cynically say that uh, Trump taking out Soleimani in some ways may have been done with one eye on the electorate mm. and uh, particularly on his core support uh, who uh, we've touched on before, I mean, in the old principle that to get support at home, you start a foreign war, and that's happened time after time. And uh, people after a while can get tired of the war, but to begin with, it tends to boost support for the government in power. Yeah. So maybe, but anyway, we're into an election year, and, and we'll be talking about Trump and the election a lot. I, 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 today, I just wanted to touch on something a little bit curious, a little bit odd. Here we have, on the, on the Democrat side, Two of the leading contenders, um, Bernie Sanders, the, the sort of famous left-wing, uh, older gentleman supported by the younger crowd, and Elizabeth Warren, also from perhaps the left wing of the party. One might have said that they could have run as president and vice presidential candidate together. I mean, they are, yeah. they're pretty close in many ways. And yet we had this debate and it turned a little bit nasty, didn't it? I mean, what, what exactly happened then, Drew? Well, I, initially, so CNN brought the story out that said, the, so they were the first ones to uh, to claim or to that Sanders in a private meeting with, with Warren said that a woman cannot beat Trump. And then afterwards, she, Warren said that, yeah, no, this is true. This, this is, this is, this is real. And so when they when they uh, met during the debate, well, after, actually after the debate, that was a, that was a real kind of a climactic moment where she confronted him. She said, oh, you're calling me a liar on national television. And then it sort of kind of it went so all across social media. So am I wrong? Am I wrong? Sorry, because I, I thought it came up during the debate itself no, that no, he had it said was, that no was, woman could win an election. No, no, it, that was before the debate. So, uh, so he said this in, yeah. uh, so initially in... But that wasn't quoted during the debate then. That didn't crop up during the it, debate. It did come up during the debate. It, it did. Yes, yeah, so yeah. They, they mentioned... And he it denied they, it. He, he did deny it then, and which is why she said, 
after the debate. Yes. You called me a national liar on television. And then he said, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. But this was very interesting to me because, it seemed, yes, he, she made this claim that he'd said this thing. Mm. He denies it. And then, after the debate is over, she wanders up to him. He offers to shake hands and she refuses, which itself draws attention to the two of them. Mm. And then she says, yes, you called me a liar on national television because he had denied this claim that he had made this remark. And her microphone was still attached and switched on. Now, it could be that she just hadn't realized and, and uh, it was a sort of mistake. She just was having a private word with him a little bit angrily. It could be thought that this was actually a pre-planned strategy to lure him into making unwise remarks, which would be recorded by all the media present and would be available to the world at large. Which do you think it was? Careful, cunning strategy or, or well, an accident? Well, it, it was, there's this perception that it was a sort of backsta backstabbing moment. It, I, I remember seeing a, a quote from uh, Michael Moore, the famous filmmaker, who said, yeah. actually, when, when, when this all came out about, the, the, uh, about Elizabeth Warren uh, releasing a statement, said, this is the moment that Donald Trump got, people will remember this is the moment that Donald Trump was reelected because it was such a, a divisive thing in terms of at this moment. I'm not sure if I agree with him, but there is this perception that this was huge. Um, and in terms of the poll, so I just, uh, so recently, uh, I believe it was Reuters did a poll and it actually has Sanders is leading at, at uh, nationally at 20%. So post, post this debate, Sanders is leading at 20%, followed by Biden at 19%, Warren at 12%, and Bloomberg nine and Buttigieg at six. So actually, and it says that uh, Warren is actually down three points. So if this was some kind of calculated attack, smear, so on, it, it seems to, as at the moment, it doesn't seem to be working in her favor. Well, of course, it raises the issue of whether she's honest mm. and or whether this is a dishonest trick. And there is this other little cloud hanging over her because um, the Washington Post did manage to get hold of her 1986 registration card for the State Bar of Texas, in which she had identified her race as American Indian. And there was much surprise and shock over this and queries over this. And she then released a report on a DNA analysis that was said to show that her pure Native American ancestor appeared in her ancestry in the range of six to ten generations ago. Well, ten generations ago, my word, my ancestors were probably running around wearing woad. Um, this really was a long time back, and she's not exactly got that much Native American to talk of, and yet she claimed to be Native American and had to admit that. And in August of last year, she apologized for the harm caused by her past claims to tribal heritage. <laughs> that being the case, there was already this little cloud over her honesty. So then when you wonder about how honest the mistake was in having the, 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 the tape running, as it were, difficult for her. Right. She, she, may, she may have damaged herself, as you suggest, 
perhaps quite badly here. Absolutely, especially yeah. because uh, mm. Sanders has cultivated this reputation as, you know, whether or not whether or not you agree with his uh, with his politics, he has cultivated a reputation as a kind of stand-up guy. You know, mm. he's gonna mm. he's gonna be honest. He's gonna be he he seems to be virtuous. So when you're if this is a sort of a, 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 a political attack or some kind of smear. The stakes are high because in the minds of the public, they already view him in a certain way. I mean, even even Trump is like, I don't believe that, I don't believe that Sanders did that. I mean, of course, he's sort of adding fuel to the fire, but it's it's a difficult. It's, it's Meanwhile, a, Joe Biden is is, is, yeah, is sitting there rubbing his hands, watching his two closest <laughs> rivals knocking the bejapers out of each other, uh, and thinking, oh dear. Uh, such a shame to see this happening. But in a way, he's looking less <laughs> less and less colorful. You know, it's it's sort of. They're coming out. They're they're, they're now at the fore, um, and well, people that. are yeah. And it's it's and returning to Trump's book, The Art of the Deal. One thing he says, which is the old saying, is there's no such thing as bad publicity. And mm. he he refers to when he got bad publicity about Trump Tower, how it actually accelerated the sales. So maybe. There we are in the United States, eh? Mm, foreign land. But <laughs> um, let's just consider our own royal family here. But I'm also interested to get your perspective on this, uh, Drew, because look, I think most of what needs to be said about Meghan and Harry and the royal family has been said. And we're not going to rehash all the arguments on both sides and so on. The public have probably settled into their chosen camps by now and decided whose side they're on, and there probably won't be much shifting them in any case. But of course, here at Opinion Battlegrounds, we never take sides, and we're not going to do so here. But in PR terms, I, I do think we have some clear winners and losers here. Buckingham Palace, in my view, have played a blinder. Suddenly, they were presented with a public declaration from Harry and Meghan that they had decided that they would, and I'll quote this, that they would carve out a progressive new role within this institution. So dividing their time between North America and the UK, they'd be looking for ways to earn large sums of money while remaining royalty. But perhaps there was a little confusion here between royalty and royalties. <laughs> Of course, that wasn't something the Queen could accept. That was immediately recognised by most royal observers. But there was a real PR challenge for her as how to respond. I mean, the implied need for a progressive role within the fuddy-duddy old royal family must have irritated, even upset. But it really, it really didn't uh, need much of a response. Most people want the royal family actually to stand apart a bit, don't they? I mean, to be rich in traditions, to be, yes, actually a bit old-fashioned in, in the best sense of the word. Um, and the younger members of the royal family you know, have actually been quietly adding a, a, a slightly more informal sheen to the image. I mean, there's only a public clamour for it to lurch into a new progressive way of behaving. But much more important, the Queen needed to maintain a sense of unity and harmony. Mm. And it, you know, this had already been taking a bit of a battering with those repeated media tales of the conflict and disharmony between William and, and Harry and their two wives. And now here was Harry announcing that he was going to reconstruct the role of the institutions. So, you know, the, the Queen needed to draw a line, and denying Harry and Meghan the role they wanted 
In fact, even worse, the role they had announced they would be assuming. That was not easy. And she, at the same time, had to rebuild a sense of harmony. Mm. So how, how do you deal with that sudden, brutal, an unexpected announcement from the Sussex camp. Well, you know, first counts, count, she had to counter the impression that it was either unexpected or sudden. And, and how do you do that? I mean, the Queen mustn't lie. When you look at the wording that the Queen used, it's actually exquisite. Let me read it here. It's after many months of conversations and more recent discussions. I am pleased to say that together we have found a constructive and supportive way forward for my grandson and his family. You know, the careful distinction between conversations and recent discussions. Now, I'm sure there'd been conversations. I'm sure that, just as in any family, passing comments, little chats and so on. Oh, I'm fed up with this. I, I, I'm probably going to go back to Canada. Oh, that's a conversation. The discussion had been very recent. And by the sound of it and by all reports, the discussion took place after... Harry and Meghan fired that salvo. And it was interesting, too, that then the Queen saved her kindest words for Meghan. You know, I'm, I'm particularly proud of how Meghan has so quickly become one of the family. Wise thing to say. What she needed to re-establish was harmony, a sense of harmony, after, frankly, quite brutally rejecting not a request from Harry and Meghan, but a statement, their statement of what they were going to be doing. It wasn't, we hope, and with the Queen's permission, we will. It is, we have decided we're going to do this. And she had to say to them, no, you're not. And that was a very difficult thing for her to deal with. And I thought her statement was beautifully rounded. Mm. I wasn't necessarily so convinced about their statement in the first place. I mean, how did it strike you at the time? Well, for me, I, I think uh, in general, we sort of have a, well, let me, let me just say this. As I see it in this country, there's this sort of, uh, the royal family is almost like a, in, an, in a national sense. It's something that is sacred. Um, but I feel like um, what are the, one of the causes for this kind of dissonance, this sort of kickback that we're getting um, is because it's, there's this feeling that uh, we're in a way, perf or Megan and Harry are profaning this thing that is sacred. Something is in this in the recesses of the temple. Something, and uh, so Americans, we don't really have this. Or speaking for myself, we, we don't really have this kind of um, understanding. This 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 uh, this dichotomy here, um, which is why I think that it's been so uh, in this country. It's just been and even you know in Australia and, and now in Canada, uh, it's been so distressing for a lot of people. But, but here you are, I mean, the Americans in a way have a stake in this. Here we are, a young American, mm. suddenly part of the royal family. Do they, do you think they think that she's been treated badly? Or do they not really care? Or, or is it just they don't understand and they're a bit puzzled? I, I think that in Hollywood, she is treated, she will always be treated as royalty. I think in Hollywood, they love Meghan. Um, mm. I think common America, I mean, I think uh, just the populace, they just they, they don't they could care less, um, but it's in general I don't think we have the kind of you won't really get the kind of hostility that you will find in this country, and it's and I think that's I really believe that that stems from this sense of uh, this 
quote unquote sacredness mm -hmm. of 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 the of the monarchy that it is something that cannot be profaned in this way if you look at this it's it's inviolate you know you look at um, the queen and she's very stoic and you only hear statements at special moments and everything is sort of perfectly manicured and everything um, and yeah we just we just don't have this kind of tradition in the states well of course we had a, a, a real change of gear in the way that that Harry and Meghan handled this I, m I must say I mean I uh, I'll go on the record here. I have been really quite an admirer of Harry. I think he's done some remarkable work uh, uh, for the Invictus Games, and and just his his natural connection with people has been tremendous. Uh, Meghan, I think, is a very bright, very talented, very attractive personality. Um, my criticism of her, which I've made in the past, is that I think that she had a, been tending to seek to apply the techniques of media relations. Mm. Uh, as used in celebrity management mm. within the royal environment, and I don't think that works. So showing little photographs of you know the child's ear or something and its foot, or you, that might work in Hollywood or whatever, and, and you tease the public. It's not the way that, that royalty operates. But but what's happened here is something really quite different. I sense and, and, and reading their statement that it seemed to have been almost as though something had come to an emotional head and hadn't really had the groundwork done properly. I mean, for, for various reasons. First of all, they announced that they would be doing this thing. They would be taking this new progressive role within the institution and would be hoping to uh, increasingly be supporting themselves financially. The fact that this was then rejected by the Queen suggests that they have certainly not attempted to clear it with her in the first place. Now, you would think that that's the sort of thing that should have been done privately and carefully first before you announce that you're going to do it. And they didn't. Similarly, um, I'm not sure they necessarily thought about or carefully enough prepared the Canadian response. I mean, Prime Minister Trudeau wasn't rude but nor was he overwhelmingly warm in his welcome of this young couple. And the most important newspaper in Canada, the Globe and Mail, came out with a resounding leader article in which they said very, very firmly, we do not want a representative of the royal family over here. They pointed out that actually royalty is something that the Canadians value very much. But the royal family is something which has a place in, if I remember rightly, the phrase they said was, it has a place in our hearts, not at our hearth, <laughs> which I thought was kind of, kind of cute. But, but it argued very strongly that they should not come to Canada, that nobody had cleared it with the Canadians, that nobody had checked with Canada, that Canada wanted a functioning member of the royal family, sixth in line to the throne, to be setting up base in Canada. But again, there was a sense that the groundwork in advance of such an important thing had not been carried out. And this this sense of perhaps rushing into situations. Also, I uh, well, again, I, I think that probably um, they were unwise in advance of all this to announce that they were setting up this website and trading business, SussexRoyal.com, because I, I can't really see how they can be using that royal moniker, having agreed not to be using the royal moniker. Mm. The, that's a difficult one for them, because, but they've gone a long way down the line without checking the groundwork first. 
Similarly, I think, and I'd be interested what you feel as, I know that the, 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 the world of the law is a rather different and uh, perhaps even more of a Wild West in America, but they, in my view, rushed quite unwisely into a libel action against associated newspapers, um, alleging breach of copyright and misuse of personal data after the mail published excerpts from a letter that Meghan had written to her father. In the past, the royal family has been very, very cautious about launching libel actions. And the difficulty here is, is what else may come out? Uh, it's interesting that the defence has said that the newspaper will seek disclosure from Meghan of her exchanges with her friend Jessica Mulroney mm. um, about allegedly providing information to the media to influence what was published. That sort of thing, disclosure, uh, within the English uh, legal process can be quite damaging to the people bringing the, the action. Um, and then uh, her father's daughter from his first marriage um, uh, confirmed that he would be, if the case comes to court, willing to testify in court. And she said, if he's called, he will come. And that's not testifying in her support. They've opened up a whole can of worms there. And I tend to think that the decision was reached for reasons of emotion rather than carefully thought out implications. Well, I mean, what do you feel? Yes, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, if she does, if she does win, it's going to be a, a Pyrrhic victory. It's, she will lose a lot more in terms of reputation. Um, just because now, like, as you mentioned, her, her uh, you know, you mentioned her sister, uh, her half-sister, uh, but also her father has, is frequently, he was just interviewed on uh, Channel 5, and just the things that he just says, this is not the girl I raised, they're making the crown look shabby. They're turning the royal family into Walmart. And of course, this stuff is made for headlines. Yeah. So the more she kind of presses, presses on with this, I mean, it, it's almost too late because even if she backs down now, it's like, oh, well, she, didn't, she didn't think it through. She didn't. So it's, she's really caught her, she put herself into a difficult situation. And unfortunately, um, you know, her relatives are, who keep making statements or keep, keep agreeing to interviews these things are 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 effectively becoming um, they're weaponized now. Yeah, um, and, it, and so it's, and really, it does, it's really it does really call, doesn't it? Really, for it seems to me very skilled, very careful issues management, mm. and it, it again seems to me that what is happening is they've moved more into the kind of confrontational. Uh, publicity war that you might well see in Hollywood or in the United States. And there is, particularly for a member of the royal family, there is no winning of that war. And I, I, I think that's very sad because, as you say, I think it's very hard to back away from that position now. And public relations is not something just about feeling good and feeling warm and, and putting out happy propaganda. It is about actually sometimes bringing peace to situations. Good issues management looks to resolve, not to win. And here I think the instinct was to go to war over something where there would be no winning, and it was an unfortunate call. Mm. I hope very much that they do find happiness in their new role. Um, I think that uh, Harry has gone through a lot in his life, and... Um, Megan has also taken a very brave risk in, in entering this this arena of, of the royal family and, and they deserve to find happiness. I worry that they're not getting necessarily wise advice and that 
perhaps people are not challenging their thinking mm. uh, well enough. Are they really listening to the right people? I, I, I worry that they're not. But Buckingham Palace, on the other hand, I do think has played a blinder. It, I'm not saying they've won. They have not won. They've, 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 been, they've had to manage a horrible situation and they can't make it go away. But I think they have limited damage as well as they could ever limit it. Some really quite difficult discussions, really, this week, and and it's tremendous to have you with us, Drew. And Thanks. and um, we'll be back again uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So, thank you very much for joining us on on this episode of Opinion Battlegrounds. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Opinion Battlegrounds. Please subscribe to receive the latest episodes, and you can follow us on Twitter at Chelgate or email contact at chelgate.com. 